You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear. Support your manhood. And also brought to you by MyBookie, where you can double your first deposit. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet. Win. Get paid at MyBookie. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. This is David Waters with Gators Breakdown, teaming up again with Uncle Silt from the Big Three Roll-Up and Stadium and Gale Podcast. We get together with some other Gator media members to share what our thoughts of the Gators 2019 season so far and a look ahead. Without further ado, here is... Another edition of the Gator Panel. Thanks for tuning in to the midseason Gator Panel. I'm Silk, and I'm the host of the Big Three Roll-Up in Stadium Miguel. I'm co-hosting this with Gator Dave from the Gator Breakdown Podcast, and alongside a, a, a group of writers and reporters, Nick Delatore from the Gator Country, Dan Thompson from Stadium Miguel Podcast and Gator Country, and Zach Appleberry from Locked On Gators Podcast. Fellas, how's it going? Doing good, good, doing good. Doing well. Doing good. We're hanging out at 71. Yeah, man. Dave got Dave's gonna shoot off a series of questions. Better than things are going in Coral Gables and uh Tallahassee right now. Oh, absolutely, man. It's the flagship doing flagship things, man. It's feeling nostalgic around here. Dave gonna kick it off with a series of questions, then I'm gonna follow up with some as well, man. We're just gonna kick it and hang out, man. Yeah, uh, David Waters from Gators Breakdown. Yeah, not, you know, probably won't kick it off too much with a question, but guys, you know, last time we got together in the preseason, we got together right after Florida was coming off this, you know, tumultuous offseason, offseason headlines going around like crazy. I think we were all kind of tired of talking about that, ready to get to the season. And look, now we are, here, here we are, 7-1, Gators sitting at 7-1. And look, it's, just, it's a different looking 7-1 and that I think we could really imagine you had Felipe Franks go down. Kadarius Tony, one of your top playmakers, going down. Your defense hasn't been at full strength pretty much all season. Uh, besides that Miami game when they get 10 sacks, but Zuniga and Grenard uh, not in the lineup as the season goes on. C.J. Henderson misses a few games. I mean, Gators sitting at 7-1. I think we uh, a lot of us saw this 7-1 start, but my I mean, guys, I don't think we – if you would have – told us all these things had happened, I'm not sure we would have said sit here and said the Gators were seven and one or not necessarily being looked at in a positive light like they are a seven and one. Yeah, I agree. We've had uh if you would have told me Felipe Franks was gonna be out for the season, um CJ Henderson missed half the season, Jabari Zuniga missed half the season, and, and, and Grenard is going to miss some games. If you would have told me that, I w- there's no way I would have had us at six and one. But I mean seven and one. But nonetheless, here we are, man, uh, making things happen. Yeah, you is know, it, I think we talked. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Dan. 
I was going to say, I think we talked a little bit about last year or the last time we did this podcast is, you know, Florida, I think, learned how to win last year. Um, you know, they built some confidence around themselves. And, you know, you got you to give a lot of credit to Dan Mullen and his staff for, for not only getting the ones prepared, but the twos prepared and the, the opportunity for that next man to stand up uh, into that to that rotation. You know, we, we've, we've seen a lot of rotation amongst, you know, the ones and twos. And, and we've seen a team that, you know, has been able to to push each other or cheer each other on when, you know, no matter who's scoring or who's getting the interception. So it looks like a team that's finally playing like a team rather than a bunch of individual pieces like we've seen in the past. Um, I, I wanted to just get y'all's opinion on it. Um, I mean, there was a lot of people kind of talking down on Florida or not taking Florida seriously before the LSU game. And you can say, sure, they played two FCS teams, maybe three or four, if you include Miami and Tennessee into that mix. Um, <laughs> So they weren't getting the credit, and they almost didn't get credit until they lost the game, until the defense, who had been great all year, gives up you know half a thousand yards in, in a football game. I just wanted to know or, or see what your guys' opinion was of why was that? You know, why did they go six and zero and get no credit until you lose a game? And now they're kind of you know playoff dark horse, and in, in the national media at least is, is kind of you know uh, loving on the Gators. Well, I think, I think it – go ahead, go ahead. I can think part of it is, I mean, everybody looks at quarterback plays. So everybody fell in love with LSU because of what Joe Burrow was doing and, and leading that high-flying offense. And, I mean, everybody's going to point to the quarterback, and Kyle Trask has done nothing but come in and, and, and light the world on fire since taking over for Felipe Franks. And uh, I think that storyline, everybody was kind of wait-and-see mode on Kyle Trask. And, yes, he was making his first start. Yes, he led a comeback versus Kentucky. But how would he travel to De- Death Valley, Baton Rouge, and, and, and perform in that situation? And, you know, Florida hung tooth and, tooth and nail. So I think first and foremost, I think it's people looking at the quarterback position and, and, and putting two and two together and say, okay, Florida's got a quarterback. We know they're pretty good. And everywhere else, maybe offensive lines the next biggest question on on, on offense. Uh, you know, team that with a yeah, defense has kind of fallen by the the last two games, but in that LSU game, you know, the worst game of the season for them, and, and then bouncing back and and, and playing you know, pretty well against South Carolina. But I think it all just goes back to, to quarterback play and how the national media really looks at that position and, and kind of makes a uh, an, an opinion on the team. And since Kyle Trask has come out and played well, I think I think that has a lot to do with it. Well, I, I think you're right. I think I think it's somewhat right because I thought Kyle played good at the Auburn game, and they were still getting a lot of disrespect even after that yeah. game. I just think that people didn't believe in that that because we've had these flashes of one year we win ten games, and the next year we kind of fall to off a little bit. So I guess people just kind of just doubting us in the way we was winning. I think we, I thought we got neither. I think in, in the beginning of the season we were sloppy. Um, we have like these first half we played totally sloppy games. And I think now teams are trying to see what second-half team. The first half may be sloppy, but at the end of the day, we're a good football team that kind of get get his shit together in the fourth quarter. Sorry for my language. I just think we just like a better football team. And, yeah. and, and like, the country's starting to recognize it, man. But it did take a loss, to, a shootout loss to LSU for teams good. to start respecting us. I, 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 think, I think that's it right there. So, uh, seeing is believing, you know. People have seen what Florida has accomplished. They, they had two trips to Atlanta pretty recently. But nobody in the national media, at least, looked at Florida any of these years in the last decade as a legitimate SEC, potentially title contender uh, nationally until that trip to Death Valley. Because you go into that game and you everyone knows how good the Tigers were going into that matchup. 
And then to see them jump on Florida the way that they did and Florida to go toe-to-toe with them and take the lead in the second half and have a quarterback making his first road start throw for 300 yards at night in Death Valley. I mean, Florida quarterbacks, we all know, don't do that. So I think a lot of people came away from that game, the David Pollocks of the world and some of the other national folks that have been giving the Gators love saying, man, if Florida gets matched up in a neutral site game in Atlanta against LSU or against Alabama, now they can actually compete. And I don't think people were saying that about Florida uh, under Jim McElwain. They certainly weren't saying that under Will Muschamp. Yeah, and no, I would say that, you know, the, the one thing and I agree with a lot of what you guys have said, I think the one thing is the first – you know, six games of the year, whether it was schedule, whether it was, you know, Miami wasn't very good, Tennessee's rebuilding for the Mm -hmm. 10th year in a row, whatever it is, you know, for the first time there was, you know, Auburn has a freshman quarterback, you know, they stopped looking at excuses to why the Gators were winning. And then they actually looked at the product on the field. And, you know, while Florida did lose by two touchdowns, they threw an interception, you know, on the what two yard line um, into the end zone. And, um, you know, then that play then, you know, a couple of plays later turns into a touchdown. So, you know, Florida, you know, at the end of the day, played that game really strong. I think a lot of teams saw what Florida could be, uh, you know, and I think what, what another thing is, is they're finding ways to win. You know, last year we talked about, you know, Florida found a bunch of ways to win ball games, and this year they're finding ways to win. And I think people are starting to, to think, hey, maybe it's not just a fluke. Maybe Florida actually has a pretty good football team. Talk about ways to win, guys. I mean, I think we come into this season thinking this run game and this offensive line would be maybe a little further along than where it started. It's starting to find its legs a little bit the last couple of weeks and, and in October. But, you know, yeah, you had the injury at, at quarterback and you would have thought, you know, if you're seven and one and the change at quarterback, you probably would have thought the run game would have been further along by now. Yeah. Um you know, at the end of the day, you know, Florida over the last few games starting to figure it out. You know, the one thing that we talked about, you know, on this podcast and, and Dave and Soak, you know, we've talked about on ours and, and Nick and, and Zach, you talked about in yours as well. It's like, you know, Florida's replacing a lot. And even though Florida wasn't replacing, you know, replacing them with young guys, they were they were inexperienced and they were inexperienced in playing with each other. And it takes time, but they've definitely been able to do better against Auburn, against LSU, and, and then against South Carolina where they're, they finally look like they're coming into their own a little bit. Uh, you know, Florida's getting a little tricky with the way that they're running some of these runs. And, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately I think they're starting to learn and grow. Um, you know, as much as we want to talk about how, you know, we would love to have Florida a great offensive line every year when you graduate, you know, your, your top four starters, um, it's going to take a little bit of time. And I think that they've done well progressing. And I'll give John Hevesy, you know, all the credit in the world for putting some guys uh, out there that, you know, have really started to get better. And if we can make a change, maybe on that right side of the ball, uh, maybe at the the tackle position, you know, I think Florida might even be able to get a little stronger there. Uh, do you think, quick question, let me just throw like a little devil's advocate. Do you think um, Dan Mullen's philosophy with the run games changing? I think it looks like, like traditionally Dan Mullen has been a, a run to open up the pass guy. Uh, just watching the South Carolina game, it looked like we passed to open up the run. What do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I think that's probably the make of any good coach. You've got your system, and this is the way he's done things for, you know, 15 years, 20 years. Um, But, hey, we're not going to just, you know, keep beating our head against the wall and and make it work, make it work. If if it's not working and and you can't run the ball successfully, but, hey, we're throwing the ball really well, let's flip-flop it. And if we can, you know, find ways to make, you know, 
use the passing game as an extension of our running game, swing passes to the Michael, you know, uh, quick, quick stuff like that. And, and maybe that'll spread the defenses out and, and give us some running lanes. So I think that's what you're seeing. The thing I've seen two years now is the coaching staff uses, I guess, just learns about the team. And, and as the season progresses, they continue finding ways okay, we'll take this out, we'll add this. We don't do that well. We're not going to keep trying to do it. We do this well, and how can we build off that? So I think you saw that last year um, with just the learning and the growth of, you know, Felipe Franks and, and his knowledge and how he ran the offense. And I think you're seeing that now, like what you just said, Silk, with using the passing game first, and that's not typically what a damn Mullen offense has been. There, there's a coach roaming the uh, the hallways there with a visor that can uh, speak to that, to that strategy that I'm sure uh, speaks his mind on that one. Hey, Dan, you run that play I drew up yet? <laughs> Dave, I, I, think, I, thought you had the, I thought you had the observation of the week uh, on Twitter when you listed LaMichael P. Ryan's stats from October and September. Yeah. I mean, that was, those were eye-opening numbers. And I got jumped on because people don't want to count that 88-yard run. <laughs> you, can't, you can't take that away from LaMichael P. Ryan when he broke two tackles on that play. That wasn't like the you know the Red Sea parted and he just had this wide open. I mean he broke two tackles on the play, so you can't take that away from him. But broke the first of the line of scrimmage too. Well, what those numbers say to me is though his his production has improved against Florida's best competition. Mm-hmm. Nobody is talking about the fact that the Gators have faced three teams that ranked top fifteen in rushing defense: Auburn, LSU, and Miami. The Gators rushed for 50 yards in the season opener against the Hurricanes. Miami's got a really good run defense. They're number 15 nationally. And guess what? On next Saturday, the Gators are going up against the number five rush defense in the country in Georgia. So some of their struggles that they've had, I think, are also due to the the competition that they're facing. But with that being said, against Auburn and then against South Carolina, they've had a lot of success in the last couple weeks. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that you're you're seeing also is, is Kyle Trask's, you know, getting starting to get a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, he's super comfortable on the offense throwing the ball, but you're starting to see him get a little bit more, you know, confidence in, in potentially running the ball as well. So, you know, the more Kyle Trask plays, the more comfortable he gets. You know, you add Kadarius Tony, who's coming back. You add Jacob Copeland, who's doing a lot better. You know, or, uh, who, who's starting to get, a, you know, quite a few more touches. And then, you know, ultimately a wide receiver core that has eight players that have, you know, 10 catches or more this season, the more you can continue to add, the better this offense is going to be. And the more you keep the defenses guessing and the better Florida is going to do in the run game or the passing game or whatever it might be. I don't want to steal all the thunder silk or anybody else. Uh, want to hit on the next topic. Oh yeah. I mean, we could, um, we'll jump in and talk about uh, Kyle Trask a little bit. What's his ceiling to you guys? Uh, do you mm. see, as far as him getting better, I mean, we, we know um, the production he's we, we, we're getting out of him. That's what Dan Mullen does. But what's his ceiling? What's his pro pot- potential like? How you guys see this shaking out? I, I, I still think the best is, is yet to come for him. And, look, I, I, I'll admit it. I know, I, I've had to admit it many times. I wasn't on the trash train at all. <laughs> but before this, uh, I thought, you know, it, it was a no. It's hive, Dave. You're a member it, of the hive. It, it, I, right. no, I, start, I started it. I started it. Let's, let's get that out there. Still, That's facts. That's facts. That's yep. facts. That's I know facts. Nick was. I know Nick was behind it as well. Uh, dating back to last year, some some of the panel episodes, but uh, fake news, Dan, back at it again. <laughs> but look, guys. 
guys. I mean, full bore. I had look. I, there was no way I, I saw this coming, or even close to this. I just didn't think. I didn't think it was there, uh, honestly. So uh, look, I, I'm as the, the fan in me absolutely loves it. I, I'll give credit where credit is due. He has come in and, and shown more than I ever thought he could. Look, I, I still think the best is yet to come. I think this running game that we just talked about is going to improve as well. That's going to help him out. You're going to get Kadarius Tony back. Uh, the Georgia game that can you know unleash another playmaker that will help him out. And he's only going to get better with experience. He just does. He still doesn't have a lot of it. Uh, and game by game, he's going to get better. He's going to get better and better. And go back to the we've talked about it just a, a second ago. The biggest test so far, he went and played very well in in, in Baton Rouge Death Valley against LSU. So look. Yeah, I, I think the more experience that some of the getting your best playmaker back, I think the run game gets better uh, as well. The defense can put him in some situations. And I, I just think plain and simple, Dan Mullen's going to make him better. There's going to be a lot more working with Dan Mullen. Uh, another offseason is that. And we'll, we'll get to it when it comes to, when it comes to it. We don't know what the quarterback situation looks like next year, but you'd have to think he's at the top of it right now. And he's going to get another off season to maybe prepare as a starter. something he hasn't really had to do or, or gotten the chance to do yet. So uh, I just think a lot of things are adding up to where I still don't think we've seen the best Kyle Trask can, uh, can put out there. I think somebody that far from it. Oh, go ahead. I, I think far from it. You're talking about a kid who, I mean, Credit to him. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I would have, especially at that age, had the maturity to continue going to practice at the same school. And, and I mean, he had his chances. It, honestly, if, if he doesn't break his foot, he probably starts that South Carolina game. Um, last year, was it South Carolina? No, yeah, it was after the Missouri loss. He probably starts that week yeah. against South Carolina, um, gets injured, and, and doesn't get the opportunity. So he's had chances to win the starting job or chances to play. There's just been a series of unfortunate events that have kept him out of it. Um, but there's, there's things like the pocket presence and, and fans are getting on about fumbles and he's holding on to the ball too long. That's stuff that you can't really learn and develop and practice. So, you know, it, it's not live reps. You're not getting hit. You don't have to worry about it. No one's going to touch you. Um, and then you get into the game and, and you've got some bad habits. And you need to feel that thing out. So I think we're just starting to, you know, really see what he will develop into. And we're really far from, you know, a, a finished product of Kyle Trask. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, as somebody that I just looked at my tweets since April 8th, 2016, I've been a big fan of Kyle Trask. Um, as, as somebody that's been a, a big supporter of him for years, um, I'll say that I feel like we're not, we're not close to his ceiling, but I feel like his ceiling um, isn't quite NFL potential. I think that he's a good quarterback. Um, I think that he's going to do really well um, under Dan Mullen. I have him starting next year um, as well with Emory Jones working in as well. Uh, but I don't, I don't know about his pro prospects. You know, he would really have to work on his arm strength. Uh, I think he'll work on his pocket presence. You know, his 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 throwing motion, his ability to do progressions, they seem fine. But but I don't know what his uh, his pro potential is. Um, but I think he's going to be a good, serviceable quarterback for the Gators, and I think he put Florida in a better position to win some of these games than I think Felipe Franks might have. Um, I'm not sure I see Felipe Franks leading that team back to win. Um, you know, just with uh, maybe trying to do a little too much. What I like about Kyle is that he doesn't seem to want to do too much. He wants to seem to, to follow the game plan that's put in front of him. So um, I like him a lot. I think that he's the starter for the rest of this year. Obviously, I think he's the starter next year. I'm um, certainly wishing the best of luck, uh, you know, after that. But he might make a roster for a little bit, but but I'm not sure he's an NFL quarterback. He's an NFL quarterback, in my opinion. I, I, I think by the time his career is over, uh, there's definitely going to be teams that are going to give him that shot. I mean, who knows where he'll get drafted, but just from what he's – 
done in the in the little bit of the opportunity that he's got with the limited experience that he has um, and where he could be at the end of his career. Uh, I'm excited to watch. The one thing that I, I took away from how well he came out and played his first few starts was even though this is a guy that didn't get the opportunity to, to play in college and he had the red jersey on in practice, to me, clearly he got better and improved his game year after year by going up against Florida's defense in practice every spring and every fall. I mean, that made him – he got more growth from that than he did as a backup at Manville High School, certainly. Uh, and, and I just think that Dan Mullen has taken him way farther in terms of his development than he would have ever gotten under Nussmeyer. Yeah. And, I mean, credit to those guys and Randy Shannon for finding him, for figuring out that he had, you know, the, the ability to play at the next level. But still, I mean, he – had he gotten to the game and got an opportunity, let's say in 2017, to start uh, during one of those games before he broke his foot before the Michigan game, I mean, who knows how his development and career would have played out had it been in Nussmeyer and McElwain as the ones grooming and developing him. You know, Dan Mullen kind of got to get his hands on him when he was fresh, and we all saw how much Felipe Franks got messed up, I, I think, in that 2017 season. So for Trash to get that clean slate, I think it kind of benefited him. And, and Mullen and Brian Johnson, man, they just, as uh, I don't know, I think it was Nick that said it, they just do such a good job of once they get into a season at every single position with all their players figuring out what they do well, what they don't do well, and making sure that they don't call those plays. Because it seems like everything that Kyle does during the course of the game, he's comfortable in doing. And that's, that's reflective of the play calling. He's yeah. another Randy special. <laughs> Zach, and at the back, that last part up, you said whatever he's given. Look, he's given. It looks like he's given the whole playbook. There's no limitations of, of the play calling. Has it changed, or you know, maybe sure. because of, of running style between him and Felipe Franks? But as far I, I, as I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, the not, deep ball he, has. He's not being. Yeah, the deep he's, ball he's definitely has changed. There's like, a lot of deep throws that have been taken away. But like Felipe Franks, for instance, his that that year that he had starting for Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer. There were so many games where you, you saw that guy dropping back to pass. And he was being asked to do things as a redshirt freshman quarterback that he simply could not do, that were not his strengths. And the coaches kept putting him out there game after game and asking him to do that. And that's, that's not a sign of good coaching. And, I mean, that's what I'm speaking to more. Just they've set Trask up for success to where even though he's limited in experience and hasn't had those live bullets, they've made the game easy for him. Uh, and he's catching on really fast. Yeah, I meant more. I meant more. People are familiar with his recruiting story too. Um, I just, uh, I, I love it, man. I, I just, you just, especially in this day and age, um, you just don't see kids that are willing to put in the work that he put in to get an offer. So many kids now, they're not going to come to camp to get an offer. Like if they feel like they're good enough to play at Florida or any other school there's so many kids that make an issue about coming to camp. And that dude showed up a Friday night lights that year by himself, no parents. He jumped on a plane and came and flew. And I still remember the night in the swamp, Jake Allen was out there. A couple other quarterbacks from that 2017 class that were four stars and top 100 kids. And my guy that I was out there with came over to me and said, that player, whatever number Trask was wearing that night, that's the best quarterback on the field. And we had no idea who he was. And that next morning, he got that offer and committed to Florida. So um, the fact that now he's got features on ESPN game, college game day and all these national media talking about him is crazy because he was just a no name three, four years ago.
Yeah, Silk, and then uh, I agree with you on the the physical part of uh, deep ball and all that stuff. I've meant like just kind of mentally. I I just think the whole playbook's there. Like he knows it. There's no limitations of him sitting on the bench or anything like that. I, I think the whole offense right. is available for him, except you know maybe yeah, like you said, deep throws and all that. But mentally, all that he can handle whatever the coaching staff's throwing at him. Yeah, that was a big question too. Everyone's asking. Everyone's asking. Well, how does the offense change? And I thought that Franks and Trask are not the same player, but were so similar. That it wouldn't change. Now, if it was Emory Jones from Felipe to Emory Jones right away, totally different offense. You're, you're changing everything. But like you said, Dave, I don't think the playbook has changed. Maybe there's some things that Felipe does better that maybe aren't being called as often with Kyle. But for the most part, it, there was no offensive overhaul, which was a big question, uh, at least when I was getting asked, you know, how much does it change having a new quarterback? And I didn't think it was going to change much. No, you got two pro-style quarterbacks. I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't have changed. I don't it- – Two pro star quarterbacks should be able to do both do those the same play calls unless there's an arm strength difference and you can see in the difference in some of those play calls. But yeah, anybody that the, the quote that um when, when McElwain got the job, he said he could coach his dog to be the the quarterback. <laughs> like he said that, but Dan Muller can actually do that. You know what I'm saying? Um, he was just oh. talking out his butt, but Dan Muller can actually do that. I, I expect anybody Dan Muller to put out, put out there. They're going to be competent. They're going to be productive, and we're going to move the ball. So, well, and, yep. and, and I think that to, to, to kind of move from this topic, and, and I'm not sure what your next question is, Dave, but I think you even see it not only with him. I mean, you saw a huge leap in Felipe Franks. You saw a huge leap, you know, expected leap in, in Kyle Trask, but you're also seeing a big leap in what Emory Jones' ability, you know, to run this offense are too. So, you know, I trust and have faith that, you know, Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson actually could coach a dog. Um, to run this off <laughs> we have actually seen you know emory jones not only get better with throwing the ball and making reads but actually you know when he had to step in when kyle trask uh looked like he might be out for the season uh he ran the offense you know probably not as effectively as kyle trask has been able to do but put them in a position to be successful and he led that team down to score points so i'm very very confident in their ability to do so and i think as kyle trask gets more game time he went in against some, a really difficult part of Florida's schedule and led the team to a four and one record, including a, a you know big comeback win and you know a, a really close game in Death Valley. Um, I really like his ability moving forward, especially as that offensive line gets a little bit uh, you know tighter and stronger. Yeah, I think right. the only the go ahead, Silk, go ahead. No, no, you good. I was switching up. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say I think the only other player on offense I think we can just say by name and get a response, Kyle Pitts. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think we kind of pegged this guy to be a, a mismatch nightmare for defenses. Yeah, and, we did. And he could, yeah, he could go out wide. He could, he could line up in the slot. You could, you could put him, you know, you can line him up in, in multiple positions. But I, I mean, much like Kyle Trask coming in and and doing what he did in relief for Felipe Franks, I didn't see Kyle Pitts doing this. I mean, he, it's a, it's every game now starting with about the third game of the season where he's just uh, out there and defenses know what's coming uh, and he's still out there making plays. You know what I think it is? Obviously, you know, he's going to be a big, a big mismatch nightmare and he was even towards the end of last season. But, you know, I think some of it is, is the fact that Kyle Trask was the second team quarterback last year and Kyle Pitts was your second team, you know, tight end last year. And I think oh, yeah. that they built the chemistry that you have obviously seen. And now he's, what tied for the NCAA lead in receptions for a tight end. He leads the SEC in yards. You know, he's, he truly is Florida's best tight end that they've had at that position probably since, 
you know, probably Trey Burton, but definitely since then Aaron Hernandez before that. You might want to say Jordan Reed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Him too. My bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all good. I think we all had um well a lot of us had Kyle Pitts as the breakout player this year, Damian Pierce, Jake Jacob Copeland, all three of those guys are actually balling. And we all kind of pegged those three guys as, as names to watch out for. Besides those three, who surprised and who disappointed so far this year? Each one of us. Start mm. with you, Dave. Uh, surprise. Man, I don't surprise. know. Surprise. Uh, we doing offense and defense or just offense? Just two guys, bro. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll go defense first. Jonathan Gennard on defense. I, I I thought he'd be good. I didn't think for what we look. It's still been limited from what he's done. But I mean, starting with that Miami game and and pairing him with Jabari Zuniga as well. I mean, from game one, he looked better than uh, than I I thought I can imagine. I thought it would be hard to replace Jacopolite in the production that he that he brought to the team last year. But, man, I mean, just as an all-around player, an all-around defensive end, Jabari Zuniga, what he brings to the table, it, it, it's uh, – I, I saw him – I went back and watched a lot of tape at Louisville or a lot of games at Louisville, and I was like, okay, this guy, he's doing it there. He's still not he, – he's not what he was doing since he's been playing in a Gator uniform. He hasn't matched – what he's doing in a Gator uniform is by far better than what he was doing at Louisville. But the, I, I could tell there was a complete package there, and, okay, would he – be able to fit into Todd Grantham's defense right away. Yes, he recruited him, but he didn't necessarily play under Grantham uh, for, for, for a long bit of time. So how would he transition to what Todd Grantham wanted him to do in replacing Ja'Kai Polite, replacing that type of production? And as an all-around player, as an, as an edge setter at defensive end, uh, what he's what he's doing, I, I can't uh, – I'm, I'm so impressed there. Uh, disappointment, ah, man, that, that, that one's tough. Um, there you go, Dave. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say trading. Uh, I, I had I had bigger expectations for trading. Wanted to see how he'd replace Chauncey Gardner Johnson at the star, just because that I mean, his size uh, his size there. I thought there was a potential there that he could, if he could kind of replicate what Chauncey Gardner Johnson can do from that position. He's a little bigger than Chauncey. I was like, maybe there's a chance to make some more plays for, from that position. But no, he just can't replicate anything what Chauncey Gunder Johnson was able to do in the all-around playmaker that he was and you know helping out with Polite and Vashawn Joseph. There, I didn't think it'd be that big of a drop-off at, at stars because I like what I saw from Trey Dean and something he could maybe build on last year. I know he played outside, moving inside. I thought he'd make that transition. I thought he'd be able, with another offseason of training, be able to get somewhere near that. But, uh, no, that's not not happening. Uh, I agree. Um, I'll I'll say for me the biggest surprise is contrast, right? I mean, if you say Felipe Franks Mm -hmm. goes down and, you know, contrast's ability to step in and, and, and play as well as he had is a huge surprise. Um, you know, I, um, you know, said that Florida would go 11 and one this year, shameless plug for me. I also said that Florida would probably be seven and one at this point in the year. Again, another shameless plug for me and my accurate predictions. But I also said that that's subject to change depending on injuries. And one of those injuries would obviously be Felipe Franks and contrast's ability to, to not only run this offense, but maybe even run it a little bit more effectively than Felipe Franks has is, is such a huge win for Florida. Um, I, I agree on trading. I think he's playing a little out of position right now, but I'm going to go with Gene Delance. And the biggest reason is, is because he's 
you know, he was a, a top flight recruit, uh, went to Texas, transferred to Florida, has had a number of years, uh, and we're just not seeing it on that right tackle position. Uh, you know, he's, he's constantly getting beat. I've seen him on his butt a few times. Um, you know, so that's, that's disappointing. You know, Florida really needs to lock down that, that right tackle position. And I was hopeful, I was hopeful that it would be him, a guy that's been in the program for three years as a, I think a redshirt junior and he's just not getting the job done. So that's a pretty big disappointment for me. Yeah, I, I would agree um, with Dave's pick on Grenard. I mean, I, I didn't think that, that he would come in and be, I mean, potentially, I mean, you're looking at a team MVP, you know? I mean, if you think about what he's meant to the team and how much they've missed him since he's been out, uh, just to pick somebody else, I would probably go with Sean Davis. I'm not surprised that he has emerged as a starting safety. I'm more surprised with how productive he's been uh and and he's had his moments where he's you know been inconsistent too but if you look at the uh if you subscribe to the pff grades and i know the florida coaches don't but uh if you look at his stats i mean he's in some categories performing the best out of all florida's defensive backs um so for him to kind of step up the way that he has i think that that's been uh, a, a good sign even though Florida still is sticking with their four-man safety rotation, which I know drives Gator Nation nuts. But, yeah, we need uh, to have that conversation next. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I would, so I would say Sean Davis, and then the guy I would go as a disappointment. Um, I'd probably go with Brett Heggie. Um, I thought that him coming back from injury, being a guy that had experience, would um, you know would be a, a good starter for the Gators on the offensive line, and just and just help that group come along because of how how much youth they had. And, you know, he had that one week where he won SEC lineman of the week, but he's had other games where he's just really struggled uh, against some of those linemen that he's been matched up with. And some of it, I, I guess, maybe you just ch chalk it up to, you know, Miami and Auburn and some of those other guys just having better defensive linemen than uh, the likes of Brett Heggie. I just thought that he would be kind of a, a guy that you would look at as, as maybe the best offensive lineman or one of the best. And, and he's just been kind of another one of those guys in that group that have struggled. Uh, we just keep moving down the offensive line, I guess. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not even going to, I mean, I, it, it don't make sense for me to go. I think everybody's kind of hit on, on, on like similar guys. It, it's going to be hard to find somebody different than any of those guys. I had Sean Davis. I mean, as, yeah, as like, especially guy. the guys that surprise. Like, did anyone think game eight Kyle Trask we'd be talking about him? No. So obviously that works. John Grenard. I mean, he's like, like I think Zach said, making the case for you know MVP of the team. Absolutely. So let's talk about this uh, safety rotation. Why are we still rotating safeties, fellas? I mean, I don't think no comments. Like no comment. No, no comment. comment. I don't want no. Yeah. I don't want no heat. Everybody, everybody, everybody afraid of safety gate. Y'all yeah. know why? Y'all know why I'm scared. It's connection. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. I think, I think, I think Donovan Steiner's doing great. <laughs> no, I'm not a coward. I, 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 if I were to write it, I'll jump in. I'll jump on on this first. Uh, look, Donovan Steiner, man. You, the one thing I will give him credit on is he somehow, some way or another finds a way to be at the right play at the right place at the right time. I mean, and that's the one and that's been his saving grace uh throughout his time the last couple of years is, you know, the big plays that he's made in big games against Auburn, against against uh, uh Mississippi State last year. He had mm -hmm. the game ceiling pick against LSU after Brad Stewart's interception. So he's had his moments um but he has according to the stats been the least productive safety uh, and 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 why 
Florida keeps pressing that issue of uh, of rotating all four guys. Ty Grantham said this week that it's to keep guys fresh. Okay, that's fair. But at some point, production has to outweigh keeping guys fresh. And if you have players on the field that are not getting it done, uh, I, I think if you want to have better safety play, that, that, that trumps trying to keep guys fresh in the game. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I, you, you hit the, all of the points that I want to, and it's not just that I, I don't think that any of them are bad. I just think, you know, Florida has been able to do good things with all of the safeties on the field. I just think that there is a marked improvement. The statistics show it. And ultimately your eyeballs show it too, that Florida is better when two and 31 are out there with one and three. The defense is just better. At the end of the day, if they're not fresh, that's a strength and conditioning problem. I don't think Florida has a strength and conditioning problem. I think that's an excuse. We've also heard the excuse that they agree amongst all four of them that they should switch out and Ron English is like, yeah, we're just going to play all four of you. If that's the way that we're doing our coaching, I've got some questions about coaching that at the end of the day, I want to see two and I want to see 31 out there. 75% 75% of the game, and then you could put 29 and 13 back there. It's not that 13 doesn't make plays. It's not that 29 can't make plays. It's just that more consistent safety play, unless mistakes happen, both in statistics and in your eyeballs when 2 and 31 are out there. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to go with this, though. Uh, the star position also is, like, after seeing Bernie play this last game versus South Carolina and watching him run with their best receiver down the field like he did, Hey, I, I want I want to see something different at the star position. I'm just go ahead and put it out there. I'm I, I want to see Amari Bernie. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. You 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 hit it. I wrote I wrote about it. I, I said he needs to be playing there. I, that's what I thought after watching the game. Well, he's he's and, good. He's good in either, either run defense or or in the passing game. He's just a better athlete and he can defend the run. Even better than anybody else that's been there, man. There you go. That's where I was going to go with it, Silk. Especially with Georgia coming up. I mean, yeah, if you can get him in that star position and you have, he's a little closer to the line of scrimmage, uh, I mean, not you're not comparing to a linebacker, but, you know, then, then the other deep bit, the back positions, and a guy who's played some linebacker, you got to know, a guy that you know can can, can get physical uh, as he had to at, at linebacker with times this year. I mean, yeah, uh, it makes sense, especially – with, especially against Georgia, it really makes sense of him playing play, playing that nickel star position just to get a uh, another bigger body, but a bigger body that can run. Uh, and we know how much Georgia likes to run at, at, off tackle but with DeAndre Swift. So to me, that's just a, a guy who I mean, he needs to be in that position anyway. But with Georgia coming up, he's it's more imperative to have him there at that star role. I don't think there's another person that can do it because it, it's Chauncey was there last year because he was such a smart player. And it's not just being a smart player. It's being able to then physically handle covering in the slot, whether it's a tight end or a running back or blitzing, whatever they're asking of you. So when a lot of people were like, why can't Kyrie do it? Or why can't Chester? Or why can't Jaden Hill? I'm just saying that is just too much for them mentally to, to get it, grasp it, and then play as fast as you need to with that position. So I think the reason that Trey Dean was, was there as long as he was is because they were trying to make it work. Then you saw Marco take over that spot. I think he's someone that can. But Amari Bernie's been doing it. I mean, he's been playing safety. He's been playing um, star. He's been playing linebacker. He's a really, really smart guy. And, and I had questions about, okay, well, if it's third and 13, you put him there. That's when you would put Trey mm-hmm. Dean there because that's when teams are going to have four or five wide receivers. And then when you run 30 yards downfield at 235 pounds and you get your head around and – 
um, you know, knock a pass off like that, I stop asking that, that question of, hey, can you put him in in this situation? Hey, you guys, just stick in the secondary right quick. Um, surprised at the play. Uh, you know, a lot of people out there have noticed Henderson Wilson. Look, there's a high standard for those guys. Absolutely. DBU out there, high standard. And they haven't played terrible at all this year. But have they have they met the high standard that a lot of fans out there put on the uh, the outside cornerback positions uh, of uh, you know uh, with Wilson and uh, of Henderson out there? Well, let me go first because I think I mean if we're talking fans, of course not. A, a receiver can catch a twelve yard slant, and, <laughs> and you'll see people tweet out, "Oh my God, CJ's getting cooked this year." So I think like fans' expectations is not real life. Um, a lot of them just don't know like. You're gonna get beat. It's just part of the game. It's, it's good guys from the other side as well, but they're not getting. Nobody's coming out and, and just throwing the ball and pitching it around the field on us. You know what I'm saying? LSU was a good team and they look good, but other than that, I think CJ and Marco both are playing very good this year. I think they had the laps early in the season with tackling, but they cleaned that up in the South Carolina game. But no, I can't complain about the corners at all. It's it's ridiculous, and I tweeted it today that anybody would suggest that C.J. Henderson is saving himself for the draft. Come on. Oh, God, yeah. Come on, people. Somebody said that to me on radio. I've seen it on Twitter. I know that that's a conversation that fans like to have. Everybody accused Vernon Hargraves of doing it, uh, but y'all don't. Well, Zach, did you watch that 2015 season? I I, 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 I said people accuse Vernon Hargraves of doing it, but I know C.J. Henderson – I know his mentality. I know his makeup. Uh, and I've seen the way he's played when he's been healthy and he's been on the field. And it doesn't look to me like a guy that's preserving himself. Uh, I mean, in that aspect, uh, Vernon's still saving himself on the draft. CJ <laughs> <laughs> Henderson sprained his ankle against UT Martin, missed the rest of the game, and was in Dan Mullen's office Sunday trying to play the next week against Kentucky. Like, there's no saving himself. That's not, that's not what he yeah. did. Yeah, I think you can make the argument he's out there playing, what, 80% maybe with that high yeah, angle? He's, he's definitely not 100% healthy. There's, there's no quit. There's no saving himself. He was trying to play on the sprained ankle that eventually took three weeks to, to heal to, to, to get him back in the game. So I wrote about that today. Todd Grantham has been coaching football since before C.J. Henderson was born. And, and on Wednesday when we talked to him, he said he's the best player, professional or college that he's ever coached. And, and I mean, Todd Grantham's coached them some ballers. Yeah, and not only that, you're going to finally see Florida, hopefully, you know, with a healthy offense or healthy defense, pardon me, against Georgia. You know, at some point throughout this entire season, except for that Miami game, Florida has been missing at least one of their stars, whether it's a defensive back with C.J. Henderson, whether it's with Zuniga, whether it's Grenard, or whether it's just been a couple stingers, Brad Stewart was out. Yeah, at the beginning of the season. So, you know, Florida's going to finally be at full strength against Georgia. And obviously the better you guys have players at the defensive line, the safety and the linebackers, the better your cornerbacks are going to play and the better that they're going to look. The same way the better your cornerbacks are playing, the better your safeties and linebackers and defensive line, et cetera, are going to look. So now that Florida's healthy, you're going to continue to see Marco Wilson continue to improve where he was off for a year. C.J. Henderson is playing great. You know, at the end of the day, like Silk said, these guys are going to get beat every once in a while. But, you know, they're they're not allowing big plays. They're, you know, C.J. Henderson, I think, has nine pass breakups in four games this season. I mean, the guy's playing incredible. So uh, I like what we've seen out of them as the team continues to get better and it continues to get healthy. I, I, I like to see them to do even better. 
And, and Marco Wilson, I mean, he didn't get enough credit be, to me because everybody was talking about how much LSU torched toward a secondary and the numbers that Burrow put up. But I thought Marco Wilson did a fabulous job replacing Trey Dean at nickel after he got benched. Absolutely. I mean, he he he, he was locked down. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, so, and shout out to Kyrie, too, because Kyrie came in and was playing on the outside at one point. I, I wasn't mad at that trio whatsoever. No. So I just um, – look, I, I, as y'all said at the beginning, I just think that uh, because they're so good and it's DBU, there's high standards, and, and there's some fans out there that think that these guys shouldn't give up a catch. I don't know if they ever watched football before because Janoris and Joe was getting beat too, bro. Like, <laughs> there's no, there's nobody ever lined up University of Florida that never got beat. Guys get yeah. beat. It's part and of the that, game. And, and, there's mean, nobody that, that lined up ever on a football field that never, that, got, never beat. got beat. Like, this is how I mean, it happens. That, that play by uh, Brian Edwards on South Carolina's first series of the game, that was an incredible catch by him. I mean, C.J. Henderson was right there. Yeah. Uh, so, it, I mean, that happens, you know, in the SEC. But if anybody's banking off 50 50 balls, we'll live with that. That was oh, a 50 yeah. 50 ball. Yeah. So uh, we had 71. Uh, this is the midseason Gator panel. How you guys see this playing out for the rest of the season? Let's, let's get our uh, predictions for the rest of this thing. And we'll start. I'll start. Well, I can start. He predicted yeah, 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 Dan's, Dan's the, the innovator. Yeah, yeah. As, the, the, as the innovator here, as yeah. the uh, the guy that went out on the limb real early. Um, I think that Florida. Well, I had us undefeated every year, so I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you're a fan. <laughs> you're just <laughs> a big <laughs> <guy> lost <laughs> in 1990. That's right. Until until they lose, right? Uh, yeah. No, I, I still like Florida to go 11 and one. I, I don't think Georgia's playing all that well. I think you know Florida getting their defense back healthy is going to be a you know, big, uh, big improvement. Kadarius Tony coming back. I think that Florida can beat Missouri. I think they can beat Vanderbilt. And I sure as hell know that they're going to beat uh, Florida State. So I like my prediction of Florida at 11 and 1. Looking forward to, uh, to taking my winnings and, and heading out to somewhere tropical to celebrate. Yeah, right. I agree with Dan. I, I agree with Dan. I think Florida finishes 11 and 1. And it's just a matter of uh, what happens in Atlanta. I, you know, talking to uh, Ed Ashoff uh, from ESPN this week. He thinks that if Florida gets into the SEC championship game, that they could match up and be competitive and beat LSU or Alabama, doesn't matter which team it is. Uh, and for folks, you know, national writers like him and all the people on uh, ESPN, like the curb streets that we heard this week, that actually believe that Florida can compete with Alabama and LSU. I mean, the fact that they're even in that conversation uh, is where you want to be. And I, I, I agree with Dan. I think that they finished 11 and one and, depending on what happens in that SEC championship game, you know, that, that's where those season will go from there. Yeah. Before the season, uh, the last panel, I, I picked Gators 10 and two. I'm uh, yeah, I'm U-turn. I'm going to stick a U-turn. I'm going 11 and one as well. Uh, I think they do beat Georgia and I think uh, Gators end up in Atlanta. So yeah, I, I have no problem switching that. <laughs> the fan of me is happy. I'm, I'm picking the Gators 11 and one right now to finish the season there. So yeah. Uh, I like that pick. I think I'll go with it as well. Yeah, I picked I picked Florida to win the SEC East back in uh, Birmingham. And did they? If anyone remembers, were they finished picked to or picked to finish third behind? Yeah, Kentucky. So I, I must have been the only one picking them. I guess to, to there's a lot of disrespect first. out there. I thought, I, thought, I, thought, I, thought were, I thought they were. I thought they were picked they, second. 
Second? I can't, yeah. I can't remember. I was, I was there for one night and got out of there before Dave got me in trouble at the bar. Uh, <laughs> but made my pick. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we, I, I said before the LSU game, because I did, did some interviews and they're asking what I thought of Florida. I was like, I, I need to see how they do against LSU and I'll learn more about them. Need to see how they do against Auburn, learn more about them. I think Dan said it, Georgia's kind of reeling right now, and they it kind of looks like a house of cards over there in Athens. And I think Florida can finish the year. You beat, Listen, you beat Georgia, and then all you have to do is take care of business against Missouri um, and Vanderbilt, and, and you're back in Atlanta. And it doesn't feel – maybe I'm stuck in the moment, but I think you guys would agree. This, doesn't, this wouldn't feel like the two times that Jim McElwain um, got to Atlanta. Now, if you go to Atlanta and lose 50-2 to – um, maybe you feel differently about that, you know, after the game. But I think Florida will finish the rest of the regular season off undefeated, and uh, it'll be LSU or Alabama, and, and that'll be a great game. A rematch versus LSU on a neutral site would be uh, a game that I'd love to see. And um, yeah, I think Florida's just going to keep continuing going off what I said earlier, just keep continuing learning what they do best with, with the guys they have. And, and this is a huge week for them to get healthy because they really haven't been healthy all year. Who do y'all think is going to win the LSU Alabama game? And and two, who would y'all who would y'all care to see for that matchup if Florida does make it to Atlanta? Do you would you want to see prefer, a rematch or do you want to see Florida Bama? I, I prefer Bama. Um, I mean, it just means more, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, I think I think we I think we can give Bama some problems, man. Um, so I want to see Bama for that reason. But I think LSU is going to beat them. I think it's going to be us and LSU in the SEC championship game. I don't think Tua's healthy, yep. and, I just, and I don't think they're explosive enough, man. It's crazy to say, looking at the receiving core that they have, but LSU is looking real good this year, man. I don't think yep. nobody has a read on what that offensive coordinator is doing because he's new to the league. Yeah, I think I'm going uh, LSU as well. Even if Tua does play that game, I don't think he's going to be anywhere close to 100%. Uh, he'll be have to stay, he'll have to stay in that pocket uh, a bit more. I expect LSU to bring a whole bunch of pressure and – you know, five, six guys more more times than not and, and make Tua have to beat them. I know that game's a few weeks out, but, yeah, I think uh, I'm going, I'm rolling with LSU there, too, and uh, them in Atlanta. Is the, is the game in Baton Rouge or in Death Valley? Or in, uh, um, sorry, Death Valley or Death Valley? <laughs> I believe it's in uh, Alabama. Then I yeah, like it's, LSU. It's in, it's in Tuscaloosa. So I like LSU by seven, then. If it was in Death Valley, I liked him by, like, 13. Uh, I think LSU just looks really strong. Alabama has some some weaknesses. And I think it's not – I don't think it's a talent issue. I think, you know, at some point in time when you continuously change coaching staffs every year, it's going to catch up to you. And I think this is that year. I don't – like Silk said, I don't think two is 100% healthy. And I don't think he'll be, you know, anywhere close to 100% healthy by then. Even if they squeak out a victory and, and Florida does win the SEC East, I think that Florida would match up a little bit better against Alabama and, you know, going after some of their weaknesses than LSU. Cause I think LSU is still working out some kinks on offense. And I, I think that LSU team is really, really strong right now. Um, that's my pick right now to, uh, to win the national championship. I, I would think the who players, you got to win the national championship. LSU. I thought you was a homer on my side, Dan. It's not like you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I said I would rather play Alabama. I think if Florida plays LSU again, even if it's a neutral field, even though I know Florida was really close, I think Alabama or uh, LSU is just a little bit better than Florida is put put all together. Now I think the Florida. No, I like us. I like. I like. Grenard and Ega make a difference. Exactly. I think that game's changed. We got a pass rush. 
if Joe Burrow's not sitting on his spot and, and we can rattle him a little bit more and and the, and the next game is going to be on a neutral field. There's no home field yeah. advantage. I mean, in so, LS, LSU, they got a touchdown from just from being in, in Death Valley. Correct. Hey, guys, I do want to bring it up since we're talking LSU there, and I'll kind of go back to that game. It, it does, and I think we have to count the South Carolina game in that too with Georgia coming up. It's not all sunshine and rainbow for the Gators. Does this run defense worry you now with the last two games and Georgia coming up? At the safety position, um, I think that if the safety's coming down here and filling the alleys right and, and not letting big runs happen, taking the right angles, we good. So if the right safety's on the field, I'm not worried about the run defense. We're going to give up some running yards. It's, I mean, it's football. But the big runs are coming because at, at the the back end, guys are missing. Guys are taking bad angles. So if the right safeties are playing, I'm cool with the run game. I think we'll be fine. Ventro Miller's got to step it up too. Yeah, Ventro yeah. Miller's Ventro Miller's giving up all those a lot of the big touchdown runs that they've had has been him in his gap, not making the play. Tate caught me down on the field um, in Columbia, and he said, "Man, these linebackers have to get better." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Stats aren't going to show it." He goes, "But David Reese didn't have a good game." Sure enough, I go up and he's got like thirteen tackles. I'm like, "All right, well, stats definitely don't show that he didn't have a good game." <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's the run fits. And it's not just safeties. It's not just linebackers. And I also think without Zuniga and Grenard, you're also missing two guys who we talk mm-hmm. about pass rush all the time. But these are guys that are smart enough to keep contained that don't let plays um, bust outside. So it's not just one position group, um, but it's something that week eight, you can't keep talking about. Uh, well, it was just a miscommunication or it was just a lapse of, you know, uh, focus for a second. You got to start wrapping that stuff up. Absolutely. That's the biggest word. That's that's the biggest word for the team for me right now. Honestly, that's that that's it. Honestly, they got to they get that uh, shored up. I mean, safeties or linebackers. I mean, all that runs together. I think the run the the run defense right now. I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm not the run the run defense. I was. I'm still. That's still not the thing that scared me. The star position and the safety scared me more. No, because I don't think the run defense has cost us that much. You know what I'm saying? We've given up big runs. I don't know. Against LSU, it did. Yeah, I think so no, too. No, they was getting everything. LSU got us yeah. in, in every area. Well, when honestly, we go, and there's only we one on game the whole, on the whole on the season. Is it like the safeties and, and, and picking on that star position has been what cost us? I don't think like our run defense have, have cost us as far as well, like. I, yeah, I think my only worry is because that's the only way Georgia can beat Florida right now. If, if, yeah, if, I agree with that. If, if, if the teams, yeah. or if the teams, you know, the way they're coming into this game, if they play the way they have been lately. If Florida can't stop that run game, that that you know that puts Georgia right in the game. They're gonna be in the game anyway. But if Florida plays like they had the last two weeks against that 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 running game, then you know it's uh, Florida's gonna have their their work cut out for them to get out of Jacksonville with a win. Yeah, I agree. Let, what, what do we think about Kadarius uh, Tony supposed to be coming back? And a lot of a lot of fans want to know about his workload and Dan Mullen's play calling. Do you? I, do thought, you change? I, thought, I thought he was. I thought he was supposed to be back after two weeks. <laughs> somebody believe that uh, maybe for maybe for those opponents did that, that was Dan Mullen's hope at least now you separated shoulders bro you're gonna sit a few weeks I don't think it, I don't. So how do you think how you think his play calling changed do you think he's trying to force God, it, to me in the beginning of the season it felt like he was forcing a lot of uh, Tony's touches so how you see this playing out uh, the rest of the season with Tony back uh, I'll jump in quickly just because I know, um, you know, I've kind of made it known. I, I think at the end of the day, you, you've had some guys that have stepped up really nicely, whether it's been 
him and Dirk, you know, Copeland's really starting to come in on his own over the last couple of games, uh, you know, with, with Grimes, Jefferson, Cleveland, you know, I, I think if you have to force the ball to Kadarius, Tony, you're, you're, you're going to put some hiccups in an offense that's running pretty effectively right now. I don't mind if Kadarius, Tony obviously gets the ball, but I'm going to need to see a lot more North South running than the East West running that he's been, you know, doing just because, you know, what I like about Hammond is that he's decisive. What I like about Copeland is that he's able to go up and get that 50, 50 ball. Like we saw against South Carolina and they're just both capable of doing a little bit more. They may not be as explosive on that first step. And I, like I said, I don't mind Kadarius, Tony getting a play or two, but I don't want to change up our whole offense just to try to get him the ball uh, again, like we seem to do at the beginning of the year. I, I, agreed. I, I, agreed. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that uh, the one point that Mullen has made uh, several times, uh, just talking about Tony when he touches the ball, uh, it can be really exciting at times, but sometimes he's going to run 40 yards to gain too. And that's not something that we've seen from Josh Hammond. He's done a really good job with those jet sweeps, obviously the big touchdown run that he had against Kentucky, uh, but also Freddie Swain. Don't forget him. I mean, he's, I think he's taken on uh, as yeah. much, or maybe, or maybe more of the uh, of the reception part of that slot role. I think Tom, Tom, uh, Hammond's kind of taken on the jet sweeps and the running aspect, but Swain has really stepped up in, in every game since Tony's been injured. He's caught a touchdown against SEC opponents, so um, you know you're not just going to totally take away carries and touches from them, uh, but you do want to use your weapons. I think the one thing that could uh, that you could see with Kadarius Tony coming back is some of the packages within the offense that he does and, and that he yeah. runs really well that maybe Hammond can't do and Swain can't do. You might see those get unveiled, uh, you know, for, for a package or for a series or two. But, uh, you know, I, I'm with you guys. I don't think that he should force feed the ball to anybody because they got so many options uh, that Kyle Trash just really needs to take what the defense gives him. Mm -hmm. And I think you might see him be a decoy a lot, a lot more often too. But being on the field forces defense to, you know, change or at least definitely consider him being out there. But I tell you what, I think that it was uh, as much as maybe people didn't see it back then, a blessing in disguise for Florida that he got hurt because if he would have been healthy all season and been the the focal point of the offense that he was supposed to be the number one player with that jersey. I mean, he was supposed to be able to have a season that he could have turned pro with. And now he's probably going to come back for his senior year. And that's going to be huge because mm -hmm. you're losing Van Jefferson. You're losing Freddie Swain. You're losing Josh Hammond. So and you're losing Tyree Cleveland. So now you have a receiver core coming back with him. Uh, that, that's going to be really helpful. He's going to get the same two to four touches he got before he was hurt. And that that's what the offense is. That's that's how they get him involved. There's so many guys that that can beat you, you don't need to – I think it's a hindrance to Florida just to focus on one guy. And I know he's a fan favorite because anytime he touches the ball, it feels like Chris, Dan uh, Chris Rainey or, or Percy Harvin has it and anything can happen. But I think like Zach said, you know, anything can happen. You could have a 60-yard touchdown or he could dance around and lose 15 on a play that could have gained three. And sometimes just not happy to take the three. So I don't see the offense changing at all. And I don't see them trying to force feed anything to get Kadarius Tony more involved. Well, you also have a slightly different piece. Sorry, Dave, I, I want to let you, you cut in there. But uh, we also have a slightly different piece that you didn't have at the beginning of the year, and that was the addition of a lot more Kyle Pitts. So I'm really right. curious to see how they work him in um, as well because I definitely don't there's – a, there's a couple players on the field that I don't want to see the ball taken out of their hands, and he's one of them. We still yeah. haven't seen a shovel pass yet. No, we haven't. Still haven't it. seen a shovel pass with Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney, so – 
I mean, that's and that's an, and look. We were used to seeing Kadarius Tony with Felipe Franks, so this would be the first time we see Kadarius Tony with Kyle, with, with Kyle Trask. So I don't know how that plays into it, if that plays into it at all. Uh, you know, I, I do think the offense would get in ruts at time with Felipe Franks, and there was a lot more screens, a lot more short passes. I think we've kind of we, we went away for a, a little bit that with that with, with Kyle Trask. So I, I do wonder, you know, how, how that affects. I do think Kadarius Tony was getting better in his route running. Toward the end of last year, spring, uh, we didn't get to see it much this year, of course, because he got hurt early in the season. So I do wonder, as a pure receiver, and Kyle Trask at quarterback, do we see do we see Tony be that more pure receiver instead of just that gadget playmaker screen screen type of receiver? I think that's his senior year move. I, I don't see him like in that fashion, like making an impact the rest of the season, like running routes. So we we got guys that can do. Yeah, that. I think you probably could get him on some. Some tunnel screens or something like that, man. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't foresee him being those type of guys because I think Freddie Swain, Hammond, you just got guys in Jefferson. Those guys run good routes, and you can count on them already. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's my that's and my go to answer whenever someone asks about Kadarius Tony. Okay, well, whose reps are you taking away? Are you yeah. you're taking somebody off the field to put them on? So that means less Swain, less Hammond. Uh, less Van, less Trey, less Copeland. Like, who are you taking off to give him more reps? We got we got good problems. They just want Florida to run like ninety five plays a game. Just do That's that. It. Just clean ninety five. Like you're playing NCAA fourteen. You know, right. CS Southwest. Now with a season like we go ahead, go ahead. Because go ahead, I think the, because I, I think that when you look at next year's uh, starting lineup potentially at wide receiver. It's going to be Trayvon Grimes and Jacob Copeland outside because Jacob's mm-hmm. backing up Jefferson right now. He'll step into the starting role, and Tony's going to be your slot guy. Um, but now there aren't those options there. I mean, but, but behind those three, I mean, those are going to be your three. And so he's going to have to do a lot more from a pass-catching standpoint next season. And I think some of the touches that folks maybe wanted to see this year, he's going to have more opportunities to get them in, in 2019 or 20, excuse me. Yeah, I agree. Yep, yep. I uh, now we we know Dan Mullen is not what 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 people would call a elite recruiter, but what is he? We having back to back looking like ten ten plus win seasons. How do you think this affect where we finish this recruiting cycle? I, I mean, there, there's some there's some big targets out there uh, that we we still know that that the Gators are after Avante Williams, Tim Smith. Uh, there, you know, so you're, you're probably top of the board. Those two guys there, you're trying to flip Smith from Bama, and even we. Even before Florida started getting a lot of national love these last few weeks, you kind of felt good about those guys coming into the class anyway. But yeah, you know, maybe there's a couple guys out there that aren't quite on the radar that always seem to show up around signing day and in February signing day as well. Uh, so you know, I've always kind of pegged this class probably around that seven eight range, and it's probably be about where it ends up anyway. The pro- the problem is that uh, just looking at the board and looking at the targets and looking at the guys who are available and have or seem to have legitimate interest and it's mutual. I mean, I, I, this could be another cycle where Florida doesn't get a five star. And I know mm-hmm. that that's going to just drive fans crazy, but I think that they're going to finish with another top 10 class. It's probably going to be better uh, top to bottom than last year's group, especially if all those guys actually make it to campus <laughs> and stay on campus. Yeah, which is big. Yeah. So, you know, but at the end of the day, as, as Silk said, he, Mullen's not uh, an elite recruiter. But he and his staff have proved that they are elite developers and, and evaluators. That, yeah, and even though you know they they're not, they don't have any 
five-star talent on the roster besides Brenton Cox Jr., they have a handful, maybe even a dozen, you know, top 100, top 150 guys that are right, you know, right in that in that kind of category, and they're going to get the most out of them. And then they're going to get the guys that were the, the three stars in the low tier and, and get a lot out of them as well. At, at some point, um, they do got to win some of those battles, those five stars. I, I do think it's going to take them probably winning an SEC championship or or beating a marquee team, maybe making the college football playoff and winning a semifinal game um, to really, I think, sway, you know, the DeMarcus Bowmans and, and some of the other in-state guys uh, that, that they got to land. Got to take advantage of FSU and Miami being down. Yeah, Still got to do that. Yeah, I think the um, like Brian Robinson, you get those guys. The guys that, that Bama still trying to get, they don't all have to be five stars, which I do think Gervon Dexter ends up a five star, but when it's all said and done, because I mean the top 38, 40 kids gonna get five stars. So eventually, there's there's so Silk, that's my point right there. He's a perfect example. Like he might he, whether whether he ends up a five star or not. It's first round he, talent. Is he is he yeah. a five star type player? Yes. Absolutely. You know, just yeah, like Jacob, I, I mean, just like Jacob Copeland was a five star type player. I mean, he was a top fifty overall recruit. He wasn't a five star, but you see on Saturday the type of ability he has. And if they can get guys like that and enough of them, that's gonna yeah. start to make a difference. But I like our, our our chances with that Washington kid. That's a that's a tight end. Uh, he's really feeling the way Kyle Pitts is eating this offense. They have a similar playing style, so that's probably somebody we can get. I I, I feel pretty good where we stand right now. We're going he's against big star. dogs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think there's some guys out there. You get him. You get uh, Dumerville, the, the offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. You, you beat LSU and the big dogs out for him. There's some studs out there, man, that, that could that could be a program-changing guys. But, see, Doomerville is like, to me, can y'all imagine right now if Florida had um, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer and Evan Neal on their offensive line? Yeah. Like, like those are the guys that you can't let yeah. leave the state. I mean, those would be your starting offensive tackles right now. Call it like it is. So you got to go out and get those type players. There, there's a handful of them in every class in the state of Florida. And like y'all said, when Florida State or Miami, Florida State, Miami are down, you got to take advantage of that. Yeah, we, we already got Isaiah Walker. So you get him and you get Doomerville, you you, you got your, your best two tackles out the state to anchor this thing down for the future. Nick, I know you love recruiting. What's up, man? Yeah. I'm, I'm just shaking my head because Zach brought up Bowman's name, so that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be all over the all over my message board. You're trying to Twitter get clicked, Nick. You know that? It's just, Zach, just looking out. No, for no, no, for, no. And, and for the record, I'm not suggesting a flip there. I'm saying that you know when you reach. We well, heard it. We heard you, Zach. You said Demarcus Bowman is flipping. We heard you say that's it. Right. Secret, secret visit. He's filming his commit video tomorrow. Yeah, secret. Well, that's what Zach said. <laughs> Already, secret, Dan. Already, secret visits Clemson already. doesn't know about. Secret visits Clemson doesn't know about. All that stuff. Zach, Zach's got it. Y'all are wild. Yeah, Zach. Hey guys, quickly, I think we're about to wrap this up. Scott Strickland out there uh, proposing Power Five matchups. Who, who, who you want the Gators to play? Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> I, I second that. I, actually, I want a two for one. If we're going, we're going two, uh, two, two home, trips home. to Hawaii. One to get one game. If it's home at home, I want to go to uh, Clemson Stadium so bad. So I'm, I'm, I want all that smoke, all the Clemson smoke. Give me, uh, give me OU. I think that's great. Clemson, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. You start thinking like USC. Go out to the Coliseum. 
There's just so many great venues. Urban Meyer versus Urban Meyer versus Dan Moe. <laughs> yeah, right. There right. you I go. Jeremy, saw Jeremy Foley in the press box at uh, at USC. I said, "Hey, man, you got the wrong USC. You're supposed to be out in Los Angeles today." Uh. Um, but yeah, there's so many there's so many great places. I think it's great what what Foley's doing. And listen, if you're a fan and God hey, I don't want I don't want to do, do that. Yeah, we're. I don't want to play a tougher schedule. It's already tough enough. It's going to be harder to get to a national championship. When it comes down to it, this is what teams are doing, and you're going to have to do it. It's the future, um, so man. I want to see. I want to see. Ohio I think State eventually or Ohio State or Penn State. I'd be down that'd be great. Yep. My opinion on this: when they start, when they, all these teams start doing these big matchups every year, and they're going cross country to play out of the conference, eventually the playoffs is going to get bigger. So uh, you might as well set yourself up for like those big games because that's what's going to happen. Like eventually they're going to expand the playoffs more than four teams. Oh man, that's that's another show in and of itself. Already, yeah, I want. I want to see Florida. You know, Florida has a has a lot of matchups with the Big Ten. Uh, a, a couple of the big. I don't think they have any with the Big Twelve. A couple of the ACC. I'd like to see Florida play in the Pac-12, maybe against like a a Washington or an Oregon, something just completely out there, completely different. Or a, yeah, USC. You guys mentioned that as well. But I don't know if Florida's ever played Oregon. I don't imagine a situation where Florida would ever play Oregon or Washington, except a you know national championship. So I'd like to to go out there to Austin Stadium or to. Uh, to Washington Stadium, and you know Washington's cool, man, because they've they've got a a, a river. Just go all over the map, Dan. Yeah, just, just, just go around the map all. real yeah, quick, yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> George Reister. No, I, I am not afraid. I like Florida by twenty five over Oregon today. Uh, but like Washington would be really cool. You have a lot of Gators that live up there in Washington, but they have a, a really cool tailgate set up somewhere to like. Um, Tennessee with the river right there, and they do all the water and boat tailgating as well. So, so sign me up for any place where you can tailgate on a boat and walk into a stadium. I think I think George lost his invite to the uh, river, river boat Dan. Hey, does uh does Willie Taggart survive the season? Absolutely not. I hope he do. I hope he. Where's the money river? coming from? Newberg Newberg got that money. Yeah. He paid the buyout. I don't this know where the money goes. He's, he's I, I don't think they can afford to keep him, man. <laughs> if Big Three Roll Up could, could, could pay Willie out, I'd be. I wouldn't even be on here tonight. I promise you that, bro. This is a, this is a thing. I, I grabbed um, I grabbed coffee with TJ the other day. We were talking about this. It's not just buying Willie out. Obviously, that's a ton of money. It's the fact that you're going to have to pay whoever you hire a boatload of money to come there, and then you're going to have to get their assistance and everything else. So it's not. Just a seventeen million dollar buyout. Plus, they can't. The city can't afford to, it. They can't. Yeah, you have like, to throw another forty million dollars, and they, that's what they got to do. Yeah, he's, he's just tarnishing their brand too much. I don't see a way they keep him. I don't see a way you can sell this. Like the city of Tallahassee is hurting right now. Hotels, restaurants. It's like business is dying. So I don't see a way that they that's keep a damn shame. The brand's dying. Like, you know no. what I'm saying? I, I just don't see like how they could do it. I think they're going to miss two bowls in a row. There's not one reason to keep them with some money. I think somebody's going to pony that bread up. They got to. Hey, guys. This was fun. Yeah, man. And then you got uh, Manny Diaz. I don't think he's any better. I think he's about the same lane as Willie Taggart. We're blessed right now. Imagine paying Temple five million dollars <laughs> and he's three and four and it's not looking any better. <laughs> That's All right, fellas. Y'all got any shout outs? No. Shout out Dan's travel agent. She's probably buying a new house. That's right. 
Y'all in, uh, in Wyoming. Yeah. Y'all go listen to uh, Eternal Bliss by Zachariah streaming yeah, on all platforms. There you go. And I know Will Salmon was supposed to be on. He has some travel, uh, travel, travel problems. Got the, the flight delayed, so uh, I'll get him. That's why I like people for the future. <laughs> if y'all in Jacksonville next week, uh, pull up, hang out with us at the tailgate. Hit us up. Uh, check it out on Eventbrite. Just search Big Three Roll Up. You'll find our tailgate, and we're gonna be hanging out at the cocktail party. You going yeah, there Friday I- night to watch the baseball scrimmage, though? I won't be there Friday night, but I'm gonna be watching my grandma. I mean, I'm gonna go check out my family. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a party. I do have a party Friday night too in uh, in the Mandarin area in Jacksonville. So uh, good cover band, Julia Gulia, uh, playing at a local bar here in Jacksonville. So everybody out there listening, if you're in town, hit me up Twitter and uh, let me know. I'll be and then big shout out to me. Jacksonville. Big yeah. shout out to me. This will be the first game of the season that I'm attending. So that's any reason for you to attend the. Uh, the there UF uh, Florida uh, Florida Georgia game um, just to come see me come hang out got my tickets been pimping out the timeline for a couple of days now trying to find the best tickets got what's a, your record got Dan don't you have don't you know your record oh uh, hey if you give me a second I'll find it out I told Scott Strickland I should be invited to every big game that Florida has um, I also have the uh, like really fortunate um, you know um, past of, of being at UF when uh when they were really good. And, and this is me just stalling, which makes for terrible radio. So I'll find Yeah, it. bro. Like, what do you got going on here? <laughs> you, you just wanted to play the whole country. We just asked you for one team you like to play. You went around the whole map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now it is. Uh, All right, bro. Just tell them next show. Tell us the record next show. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. The, the, the app hey, isn't very good. As long as, as, long as on November 2nd it's 1 0, I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. As long as, yeah. If you pull up next week and we lose, we know it's you, bro. <laughs> Already. Might be the, already. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody out there. Thanks for listening uh, to this edition of the Gator Panel.